NPR. In the Egyptian desert east of Cairo, a new megacity is taking shape. It's called the New Administrative Capital, and it's home to Africa's tallest building, plus a sports complex and a sprawling presidential palace. Massive construction projects like this one are part of Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi's economic vision for the country. But there's a hitch. Egypt can't afford to build its lavish new capital. The country is deeply in debt, the local currency has plunged in value, and millions of people have been pushed into poverty. Egypt's economy is facing its worst crisis in decades, and the problems could destabilize the country during a crucial period for the Middle East. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Waylon Wong. And I'm Darian Woods. Today on the show, we look at how Egypt's economy fell into crisis and how the international community might offer a lifeline to one of the region's most important geopolitical players. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Humana. Your employees are more than your coworkers. They're the heartbeat of your business. That's why Humana offers modern group benefits designed to protect employees and their families with dental, vision, life, and disability coverage. Humana knows every employee and every business is unique. That's why they listen to your needs and build plans with you and your team in mind. That's the power of human care. Over a decade ago, Egypt's political future looked promising. The Arab Spring wave of pro-democracy protests ousted the country's autocratic leader and led to Egypt's first democratically elected president. But in 2013, the Egyptian military deposed that president in a coup d'etat. The new president, elected the following year, was the former commander-in-chief of the military, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi. Late last year, Sisi was elected to a third term in a landslide. We asked Megan Mandur, a political analyst who follows Egypt, how he would characterize Sisi's handling of the economy. It has been, um, how can I say this, uh, catastrophic. (laughs) Pretty blunt words there. For Megan, the root of the catastrophe is the military. The Egyptian military has an outsized presence in the economy, and it controls companies that make everything from industrial chemicals to pharmaceuticals to consumer products. If you go to the supermarket, for example, and you pick up uh, a bottle of water, then it's manufactured by a military-owned factory. If you turn on the TV, um, then most of the media that you're going to see is actually owned or controlled somewhat by the intelligence services. And it's not just that these military agencies make so much stuff. They are also exempt from paying taxes, and they don't report their finances. So there is very little visibility into their operations. After Sisi became president in 2014, he embarked on a series of mega construction projects with the military as a big beneficiary. For example, it owns a majority stake in the company overseeing the construction of the new capital city that you heard about earlier. 
Megat says that for the earlier part of Sisi's tenure, the Egyptian economy seemed like it was doing okay. The state-led construction projects were employing workers, and the economy was growing. But Egypt still felt like it needed some help. So it got a $12 billion loan package from the International Monetary Fund in 2016. And that show of support from the IMF helped encourage foreign investors to buy up Egyptian government bonds in the financial markets. And it helped fund a lot of new construction. So things seemed to be going well on paper, but in reality, the dynamics behind were actually extremely corrosive. If you look at the source of the growth, it was coming from those state-led militarized projects, which in the end are not going to pay for themselves. And then there was a succession of big global events that pulled the Egyptian economy into crisis. The first was the pandemic, followed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Egypt was the world's largest importer of wheat, and it buys much of its grain from Russia and Ukraine. And at that time, prices for bread and other staples were shooting up. The geopolitical instability also prompted anxious foreign investors to pull their money from Egyptian government bonds and other assets. As a result, the Egyptian pound has plummeted in value. Now, the government doesn't allow a fully flexible exchange rate. It tries to maintain this official exchange rate at around 30 Egyptian pounds to the dollar. But this is largely a mirage. On the black market, the exchange rate is over 60 Egyptian pounds to the dollar, much weaker. Isak Dewan is an economist who teaches at the Paris School of Economics. He says the devaluation in the Egyptian pound has led to a serious cost-of-living crisis. Shelves are empty. There are no imports. Food prices are higher. It increases poverty. Even the middle class is, is very badly hurt by this kind of reduction in, in real wages. Isak says that Egypt is also running out of foreign reserves. The country needs U.S. dollars and euros to pay for imports. It also needs these reserves to make payments on its foreign debt. The country has to make more than $20 billion in debt payments this year. That's like more than 5% of its national income. Just a few years ago, Egypt could borrow money to pay off older debts. It also got foreign reserves through tourism and remittances and fees from ships going through the Suez Canal. But these options are now really squeezed. Investors don't want to buy Egyptian bonds anymore. And the Israel-Hamas war has dealt a blow to tourism and commercial shipping traffic in the Suez Canal. The structural weaknesses of Egypt are such that no investors are willing, really, to to help it now. Well, there is one investor of sorts, the International Monetary Fund, which you'll remember lent Egypt $12 billion in 2016. In 2022, it agreed to lend another $3 billion. When the IMF loans money, it asks countries to make economic reforms. In the case of Egypt, Sisi's government was supposed to do a few things. One, stop propping up the local currency and let the Egyptian pound float freely. Two, raise interest rates to bring down double-digit inflation. And perhaps most importantly, the IMF said that Egypt would have to sell off some of its state and military-owned companies. Isaac said that the hope was that neighboring Gulf states would buy up those assets. And by reducing the military's grip on the economy, that would allow more private investments to flourish. Egypt has sort of followed through on these conditions, but not to the IMF's satisfaction, especially on the selling off of those military-controlled assets. That's very political, and that's what Egypt never delivered. And how do you actually push them to do that? 
The IMF did pause its loan program when Egypt didn't fully hold up its end of the deal. But now the IMF is considering lending the country even more money. I mean, what's a few billion dollars between friends? Right, billion here, billion there. Yeah, I mean, you start to lose track of what this money is worth. And in fact, the package now could be worth $10 billion, according to ESARC. Lenders could include not just the IMF, but also other groups like the World Bank. We asked ESARC more about this. Why would the IMF give Egypt more money if Egypt never did any of the things that the IMF asked it to do back in 2022? You know, Egypt is not a normal country. Uh, it's, It's a country that's very important geopolitically. The war in Gaza makes it, again, very important. The war has given new momentum in Western capitals to back the IMF and to to vote for that loan at the IMF board. Egypt is just too big to fail right now. It's too big to fail because it's a key intermediary in negotiations between Israel and Hamas. And it's home to the only access point to Gaza outside of Israel. Earlier this month, the IMF's managing director pointed to the Israel-Hamas war as the reason for lending Egypt more money. She said that the drop in revenues from the Suez Canal has increased Egypt's financial gap. Egypt, for its part, has started to make changes. It raised interest rates and put up some of its state-owned companies for sale. But political analyst Megan Mondor says meaningful economic change in Egypt won't happen without a big shift in ideology. This catastrophe was actually foreseeable. And it's not rooted in economic policy that was wrong. It is rooted in the political system and the ideology on which it revolves, which is basically the military's supremacy. The focus for now, though, seems to be just stabilizing Egypt. An IMF team recently wrapped up a two-week visit to the country and said it's close to finalizing a new deal. This episode was produced by Cooper Katz McKim and Angel Carreras with engineering by Valentina Rodriguez Sanchez and Gilly Moon. It was fact-checked by Sierra Juarez and was edited by Patty Hirsch. Kate Kincannon is the show's editor and The Indicator is a production of NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org slash elections. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast or wherever you listen. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with its original podcast on investing. Each week, you'll get thoughtful, in-depth analysis of both the stock and the bond markets. Listen today and subscribe at schwab.com slash oninvesting or wherever you get your podcasts.